Hello and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today I'm delighted to have as my guest, Megan Mishak. Megan is the founder of Path to Presidents Club. Megan, welcome. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Okay, would you mind giving the audience 60 seconds on your history and background, please? Absolutely. So I have been in sales since I was 16 years old. I have sold everything from retail to apartments. And I've also worked that really horrible commission-only position. And I got into SaaS sales through a friend of a friend about 7 years ago. Since then, I have been growing training programs from the ground up. My very first role in training and development was doing a training program on my nights and weekends just because the company needed it and we wanted to hire people, couldn't attract them. So when I was moving to New York, I was kind of like thinking about what I wanted to do. And when I was... Even before going into training, I was pretty bad at sales. I'll admit that. I was BDR. I had no idea what I was doing. And I actually had that moment of, am I actually cut out for this? And I went into one role and I finally had to ask myself, if I'm going to do this right, I got to figure this out. So I made a deal with my boss. I went to Sandler sales training every week and learned a lot about just the foundations of sales. The good news for my boss is that I actually hit Presence Club that year um, as a very young seller. And the bad news was that I fell in love with training and development. So I was interviewing in New York City. And one of the companies that I was interviewing at said, Hey, we really like your sales experience. But we can get a seller anywhere. We love your training experience. Would you consider doing this for us full-time? So for the last 6 years, I've been in sales leadership and building training programs and training enablement, everything in between from the ground up for B2B SaaS companies, specifically in marketing technology. And for the last 6 months, I have gone out on my own. And I'm partnering with a few companies to actually help other companies build their own training programs. And really, my mission is to help everyone who is very similar to me, who is questioning, am I good at this? Like, I can't figure this out. My company is called the Path to Presidents Club because I want to have, I want to enable other people to have that very similar journey, right? Right. Where they want to, you know, hit presidents club, whatever that means for them. Okay. So I'm new to sales. Where the hell do I start? Love this question. And I feel like I should say that, like, find a good company and they'll support you. (laughs) Yeah, we're laughing, right? Like, it's so funny as well, because I'm going to say something I feel like a lot of people are not going to like, but I have not had a lot of experiences where people have just like, I've joined a great sales company and they're like, here, here's all the answers. Here's some great scripts. Like, for me, it has been cutthroat sink or swim. Even when I did join companies that were fantastic, the BDRs were like, oh, this is so hard. I'm like, you don't know what it feels like to be in a commission-only role. And you're like sleeping on your sister's couch. Like you have to figure it out, you know? And I think that one thing that I love that we were talking about even in preparing for this is that I think that that BDR role that like, you know, the the opportunity to cut your teeth in sales to learn probably over like a year and a half could go away. 
And I mean, I see even with the rise of data, there's a lot more pressure on salespeople. A lot of people are saying, hey, like we kind of have the profile and we know that if people aren't really successful in their first year and a half, like we're not going to give them a chance. There's a lot more pressure on people to succeed very quickly. And so what I think salespeople should be thinking about is not just relying on your company to give you all the answers, the resources. There's there's not going to be any room for people to say, well, my manager didn't help me with that. You need to own your career in 2021 and beyond. Absolutely. And yeah, and go into these roles more prepared than ever before. You need to go above and beyond. And I don't mean just, you know, workaholism. I think there's also going to be a big difference between working harder and working smarter. I agree. I think that salespeople who do not read, do not train themselves, don't get coaches, have absolutely no excuse in this day and age. There is a wealth of good information out there. There's also a lot of crap that was out of date by the time Queen Victoria was a child. And (laughs) that's still being peddled and propagated by some terrible trainers and by some awful managers as well, because they were successful in spite of doing that, largely because of timing and riding a wave. And I think that many entry-level sales jobs will disappear. They'll be replaced by AI, personalized websites. They'll be replaced by a Google DeepMind, making calls, by data, by marketing. So I think there's going to be some really interesting challenges ahead for the profession. What I am curious about, your thoughts, I suspect there will be a lot of 40 to 50-year-olds who came from an operations background who are too young to retire and don't have the financial resources to do so. And I suspect a lot of them will be looking for roles in entry-level sales to start a new career because they have the advantage of understanding what it's like sitting the other end of the desk, whereas 21-year-old coming in green behind the gills doesn't really understand the moving parts. So I'm curious about your thoughts around that, Megan. Yeah. It is interesting because I think that there are some pros and cons, not even pros and cons, but there's, I think one struggle for those people is that there is this like workforce that it, that BDRs are not paid a lot, right? But the interesting thing is that in big markets like New York City and San Francisco, BDRs are making like a good chunk of change anyway. So I do think there's going to be a lot of competition. And even in the last month, Marcus, I've seen a lot of those people reach out to me and say, Hey, I am making a career change. I am you know, 40 or 50 years old. My One of the people that reached out to me was like, my background's in engineering, but I'm actually like joining this organization as more of a... As both an engineer and a salesperson. And I really want to invest in myself and my skills. So the funny thing is people are reaching out to me and they're not saying, Hey, can you just help me get a job? They're saying, Hey, I already have a job and I want to, I want to invest in my own training. So it's funny because I think that the BDRs today, they're just looking for really good jobs where like it's a very different conversation when I talk to both of these audiences. BDRs, you're more like the millennial group, come to me and they're like, how can I find a really good company who will give me everything? And I'm like, good luck. Uh-huh. And then the the other generations are coming to me saying, Hey, I know that no company is going to give me everything. How can I give things to myself? Do you work with individuals like they're looking for resources and millennials should be scared about that. 
because uh, it's going to be a big differentiator and they're going to they're gonna have a lot of competition for those entry-level jobs. So for anybody looking to get into sales, you absolutely need to be a voracious reader. There are some phenomenal blogs. Anthony Anarino is a must. You need to read Justin Michael and Tony Hughes' new book, Tech Driven Sales, uh, Tech Power <laughs> yeah. Sales. Join salesborgs.ai and yeah. also Justin has a WhatsApp group called Rev Syndicate. I would also definitely look at some of the old timers who speak a huge amount of wisdom. Dave Brock, Bob Apollo. These guys are exceptional at what they do. And LinkedIn has a number of great communities. YouTube is teeming with great material. And don't go for the stuff that gives you the get up at five o'clock in the morning, work 27 hours a day. It's all about the money. It's not about the money. The minute you put your commission before your customer's success, your customer will pick up on it and you will always struggle. Your thoughts? Oh my goodness. I have so many. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the like 24-7. I think it's really interesting right now. I've posted so much about my own experience with burnout and workaholism. And I just saw someone post almost kind of like a response. Not to me personally. I think a lot of people are, are at home working from home like and spending a lot more time with their family and, and things like that, having a lot more balance in their lives. Thinking, what the hell was I doing before? Like being in the office for me from like 10 a.m. until 1 1 a.m. sometimes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do that anymore. And it's funny because as I reflected back on my my career, I actually realized how a lot of it could have been even easier for me if I had leaned even more into training, development, and strategy versus workaholism and just like putting in hours to put in hours. And I think that is going to be a big differentiator for people who is like, okay, like we don't need warm bodies sitting in the office at 7am. We need smart bodies getting results and actually saving us time. So yeah. This is a really interesting discussion. So in Sales of Force for Good, we had pretty much a stand-up row between a couple of people. And it was really (laughs) exciting because, well, first of all, before I position myself, one chap. Ben was saying that sales increasingly is going to require higher and higher IQ. And on top of that, you need TQ, which is technology quotient. You need EQ, which is the emotional side. And you need PQ, which is the ability to collaborate and sell uh, with partnering skills. On the other side was the view that IQ doesn't really matter. Now, I suspect it depends which part of the market you're operating in. But I'd be really curious on yeah. uh, your position. So I think one, the only thing that I see that's missing is, I don't know what cue you're going to call it, but it is essentially business acumen. I think business acumen is one of the things that I see really standing in the way of people's success in sales. Because as we go, for example, like as we... I know we we have you know relationship selling. Relationships are fairly intuitive. It's emotional intelligence, right? As we go more into like solution selling, eh, like you know, you do need some product knowledge and everything which your company can teach you. But where I see a lot of people struggling with is it's actually forming very strategic hypotheses and having more of this like challenger messaging. Like, how are you actually going to differentiate yourself as a salesperson? 
And the one thing that as a trainer, I can't teach you as much, like I have a hard time with is business acumen. And to our point earlier about those people who are in their 40s and 50s, that's one thing that they typically have is a lot of business acumen and experience. And so for me, I actually think that that's an area where a lot of people aren't focusing. They're like, they're focusing so much on tactics. Oh, you know, this subject line, you know, performs best. But if you don't know who you're talking to and like why they would be interested and what the value is through some of that business acumen, then I think that's like a really big part of sales and sales training and like the conversation that we're not having. So for me, I do think that it is all of those things. And um, where I see a lot of people focusing is like too much on one of those elements, right? We all have those books that we love learning about and things like that. But I actually wanted to mention one thing. Um, You mentioned Tony Hughes earlier and Jessa Michael, their book. And one thing that I love, I actually am a partner of Tony's. His company, Sales IQ Global, actually offers this incredible training program. And it's only about like it's like $125 per month per individual. And it actually, instead of teaching you, say this, do this, it actually teaches you how to even go from like, what is your ideal customer profile? Who are you even targeting? And I think that is what a lot of people are missing. And what I want to see the shift towards is like helping people deeply understand why they're doing things to complement all of the other areas of you know EQ, IQ, and all of those things. I'm delighted, first of all, that you would go down that road because technique is the least important part and the simplest bit of uh, learning how to sell. Most people get uh, seduced. I know I did. When I found a selling methodology that I thought was really good, and it happened to me a few times, I focused on technique. But technique has nothing to do with why people buy. And most salespeople use technique as a weapon, not as shield. It's there to help you to understand, to deliver insight to the customer. And again, love the whole concept of challenger, but in the wrong hands, very much a cudgel. You know, it's a, it's a, a club with nails in it. And that isn't going to endear you to your prospect. You need to understand the moving parts. You need to understand the implications of the investment that they're going to make. You need to understand who else is going to be affected. This is the ripple effect. If you drop a pebble in the pond, who else is affected if they do a good job or a bad job, make the right or wrong decision? And you need to understand that they're not investing for today. They're investing for the future. They're trying to bring value to their business. They're trying to replace stuff that is old or obsolete. They're trying to drive efficiency. They're trying to build and drive growth. They're trying to be profitable. They're trying to survive. And if you don't understand all of that, then it's like being a conductor of an orchestra and all you have is a baton and no orchestra. (laughs) And I think part of the challenge here is that if you do not start and end with the customer and the customer Mm -hmm. is at the heart of everything you do and buyer safety is central to everything that you do, then you just become a peddler, a transactional seller. So let me ask you this question because um, I'm really curious about your response to this. 
Is what passes for great in sales today fit for purpose? Oh, man. I think what passes for great is really sad today. What passes for great are incredibly low open rates, incredibly low conversion rates, qualification that like... like Even I'm, I'm talking to a, a senior seller right now and he was like, Hey, Meg. I was like, What are you struggling with? Like, What can we focus on with discovery? And he's like, I spend most of my time qualifying the opportunities that my BDR sets up for me because he's been taught to only focus on meetings booked. And he's doing that. He has a ton of meetings he's booking for me, but he doesn't understand what what qualifies a good prospect for us or a good contact. And the thing is that like, I mean, I work primarily in enterprise sales where even if we give you like, I always say, tell people and people hate this. So I hope we can discuss this. But I think that scripts breed stupid reps. Oh, God, yes. So the issue is that we are just giving people scripts. And even if it's a script, I mean a script in in a lot of different ways. I think that even if you say, target these people, you can't just give people a title and and tell them to, to, um, to go after those people in... SaaS sales, because if you're going after one title, that title can be something very, very different in every industry. Even the way that, you know, financial services organizations are structured, very different than retail. You know, like there's all these, it's so complex. And so it's really the difference between between training, enablement, coaching, and operations. But I'm going to give you an example. I'm working with uh, BDRs. And we're, we're trying to... Usually, I have an exercise. Um, I call it an onboarding checkpoint where they actually have to give us their account research. They have to give, a, you know, give us an elevator pitch. We have to walk through their, their in-depth research on an account. And then they show us their, how they took that research and put it into an email. A couple of touches. And I usually... like I'm working with them for probably 2 weeks on this exercise, teaching them as I go. And of course, they're always like, Hey, give me the script. I'm like, I promise you don't want a script. You can't use a script. Like, even when you give the elevator pitch to me, you have to be practiced, perfect, etc. But they always like, they always ask for scripts. And it's interesting because I, instead of a script, I finally came, I'm like, I'm going to give you a format that I've seen work really, really well in enterprise sales, which is, it's kind of a three paragraph. When I say paragraph, like one line challenger question, quick context, and then challenger call to action. I don't know if you're thinking about what's happening, but when I give people this framework, what I see is that they do exactly what I told them. They give a challenger question, which is a lot of times really good. Then they go into a context, which is all about our product has nothing to do with a challenger question. And then they have a very disjointed challenger call to action. And it's so funny because it's like, oh my God, I've 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 given them a framework, but like it actually shows that you can't just training that's just like giving scripts. You need to pull together all of those cues, right? All of the levels of, of intelligence that we were talking about earlier. You have to have the emotional intelligence to actually make, you know, prospecting sound human and natural and even like if you are a little bit goofy or do something wrong, like people love that. People like talking to humans, not robots. You also have to have 
you talked about agility. You have to have the agility to understand. You can't just use one challenger question. It's not going to apply to every company. You also have to have the intelligence to know how to, you know, pull together the messaging and, you know, to be able to to create something that will be, you know, engaging and resonate. The thing is that scripts are just tactics. Tactics change so much, but what we're not addressing is the fact that implementation and application are really, really tough. And it's not a one-stop shop, right? What I always tell people about training is that for me, like I've been to so many conferences. It's kind of that the Sandler Sandler sales training has this uh, line that I'll never forget, which is, you can't learn to ride a bike at a seminar. I've been to so many great, great, great networking events and conferences. And I like write all these notes. And then I find the notes six months later. And I'm like, Oh, no, I didn't implement any of that. Mm-hmm. Right? So like it takes regular coaching and ongoing, you know, application to actually help people understand how to not only understand a script, but to actually put it into practice, not in one context, but in the 1400 context that you're going to have to do as a salesperson. We did a round table a couple of days ago with Mm -hmm. phenomenal sales minds. So Bob Master, Simon Bowen, Ken Pearson, Fred Copestake and various others. And the conclusion we reached is that we should stop calling it training. Training is something you do to someone and it needs to become learning. And the individual has to take ownership of that. And uh, if you do not create that learning culture as a manager, you are doing a massive disservice and have no place in that role. And I think what's also really important is the understanding that 70% of the learning actually happens after training in the field, on the job, and it needs to be personalized. It needs to be put into the actual context in which the seller practices those skills. There's a fabulous piece of technology called mobile practice, which I've just taken on the CRO role for that allows you as a coach or a manager to take a moment. So for example, in the opening contract, you might read it like a a shopping list and it's not really a contract. So you can take that moment because you coach what you see and then you issue very clear and step-by-step instructions. And you can upload a car crash video and you can upload a best practice video for them to see. And then clear guidelines as to how you're going to assess their performance. Now, what we're finding, which is really interesting, is the average rep, before they post the final video, they record themselves four or five times. So they start becoming self-aware. And that's really key. Absolutely. And if they become self-aware, they start to see how they come across to their customers. Now, the net result of that is that we see this incredible boost in performance which then translates into results because no one buys training because they want training. The only people who do that are L&D and HR who use it as a (laughs) check in the box to say, oh, yeah, we're we're a good employer because we provide training. You're a shit employer because you provide bad training and you measure the wrong things. I don't care about the smile sheets and I don't care about retention. I care about implementation And I care about the result. Does the needle move to the right? Because if it doesn't, 
then the training has failed on every count. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. And uh, the business does not move forward. All you've done is lost eight hours of selling time. And it's uh, you've incurred a lot of expense hiring rooms, putting people in hotels, and hiring a trainer. So let me ask this then. Why has training and technology largely become shiny object syndrome? Oh, because we don't understand it. And we're honestly expecting it to do too much. I actually equate it to... It's a very similar transition to when marketing automation tools first came out. Where we're like, perfect. These will send all of our email. Like They'll do so much. And we're like, no, 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 no. You still have to put a lot into it. You still have to bring really strong tests and templates. And you have to continuously be testing, right? Like There's so much that goes into it. But I've seen so many companies that are like, Hey, we have Gong. We're golden. I actually... Oh, even worse. I saw in one of the sales Slack communities I am in, someone, a sales leader asked in the sales leadership channel, Hey, I'm trying to build out the next year of our budget. And I'm wondering how I should build out the budget for training and enablement. Someone literally wrote, just kills me. You just need to find out what tools, what enablement tools you want, and then build the budget around that. And I'm like, okay, how do we not know that this is not like... What what if I use that for any other thing? It's like, right? It's like, hey, how should I build my budget for my business? Oh, just figure out what like shiny objects you want. Like, oh, like I want a microphone. I want a pony. I want this. And then like, you know, build... It's like, no, you need to figure out what you want to achieve in terms of the results and like what the big problems are. Like how valuable or how how painful is the problem right like what do you need like how what are the goals and what do you need to support those things right and i see so many people just buying gong and chorus and showpad and highspot and all these things and not actually understanding how to use them or oh. even worse they're using it for what i call using it for evil we have a lot of companies that are creating this like dystopian big brother type of sales culture where they're actually not using sales tools for coaching. They're using it to spy on their reps. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Audit, it's a bad audit function. Yeah. Because also sales, if you think about like 30 years ago, sales used to be one of the most autonomous careers, right? You're like jumping in your car, you're going to see people, you have a ton of freedom, and you can really do whatever you want. Like we literally have that lone wolf mentality, right? A lot of lone wolves. Now... We have some companies that are like, we're, we're watching your every move. And it's funny too, because we already talked about how scripts don't work. So many companies are literally just using these technologies to see how well people are, are using the scripts. And if they don't, they're like, no, bad. You didn't use the script. And they're, the salespeople are talking to me like, Meg, do I, have, do I really have to... Like, the script is garbage. And I'm not going to use this script because like, I'm talking to a C-level executive. I'm not going to like have just like marketing spiel flowing out of my mouth. How yeah. do I get around this? And it's creating a lot of mistrust. This... Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> I know. We're like... Okay. Oh. There was a Sana Research Center study came out in December last year that said that 94% of sales managers are not fit for purpose. Bluntly, I'm honestly amazed it's that high. 6% being fit for purpose, I'd be amazed if it's that high. Like, it's uh, like got, 99. Uh, yeah, you, you've got 13% of sales teams in 2019 hitting quota. 
44% of individual reps. That went down to 40% last year. And whilst COVID will have had an impact, uh, the reality is the best salespeople were crushing it. When I had my Sander training business, uh, I didn't have a client who was below 140% of target. They were averaging between 140 and 220%, despite the fact they were selling in the same conditions as everyone else. Had a couple who could, did 3,000 and 5,000%. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They had phenomenal years. Now, what was really interesting is that when you stop trying to sell product, mm-hmm. When you stop trying to transact, when you stop trying to make commission, when you stop trying to make quota and you focus on helping your customer and helping them solve their problems, achieve the better future that they want, and you play the long game with them, you're partnering with them to co-develop and collaboratively develop the solutions that they need. You're obsessed with their success. Then miraculously, you win. If you're relentlessly focused on the money and yeah. your commission, what it makes you is a shark. It's not someone that you want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to look up the chain of command because you've got managers who are under immense pressure. And I have a huge amount of sympathy for managers and salespeople because I think um, that whilst I rag on them a lot, the reality is that the way they are measured, just like that BDR being yeah. measured at meetings, that drives a behavior. Managers yep. are focused on hitting the quota for the team and they don't care how you do it because two bad quarters means they lose their job and can't pay their mortgage. And it starts with leadership. 100%. Leadership is completely up itself about trying to achieve growth at any cost. And they don't care what the burnout rate is, but they're making some fundamental mistakes. You know, churn yeah. rate of 15%, means every three years you lose 49% of your customers. That is idiocy in the extreme. It's not good business sense. It's not even good capitalism. It's just greed and stupidity. So there's so much there. And I completely agree with you. And it's funny because I put so much pressure on managers because to your point earlier about like how, how those reps are doing so well, right? It's like they're the ideal that a lot of reps I talk to want, they're like, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to do this. I really want to learn and grow and get feedback and have this culture. I'm like, well, what's holding you back? They're like, my manager is not about any of that. There's just so much pressure on the numbers. There's so much pressure like to do this, to do that. There's micromanagement. And the thing is, it's really easy to rag on them. But when we think about what the typical manager training is or manager experience, you walk into work one day as a top performer, meaning you can manage your territory, you can close deals, and you're really, really good at doing your job. And you probably also have some leadership potential, right? You've mentored people, things like that. However, you walk into work the next day, you're promoted, you're a sales manager now. You get some new Salesforce reports. <laughs> you get some calendar invites for leadership meetings. And if you're super lucky, you're told, oh, by the way, your team isn't really performing well. So you might need to make some cuts in the next week. You know, like it's so ridiculous. They don't get any training. And it's funny because salespeople are already complaining to me that they don't get training. But I think there's like this crazy statistic around like how like, it's like in the high 80s, early 90s, 
90 percentile of training is not focused on managers. It's focused on sellers. It's even worse. So, like 3% yeah. of global tr- uh, sales training budget is spent on managers. Yeah. And they're the most pivotal people in the most precarious position with the least training. And yeah. um, they are put in a terrible, terrible place. And, now, but your point earlier about it's not about training, it's about implementation and application. Well, who do you think is supposed to do the implementation and application if it's not the managers? So what I what I think we really need to shift around is more of coach the coach type training and coaching, right? And I think it's interesting too, because one one thing I anticipate is for so many years, there's been, you know, external sales trainers where you charge like $30,000 for a day of training, I see a big shift. I think a lot of trainers are actually going to have more coaching workshops with managers. For me as a sales trainer, the first person I talk to is sales ops. And really thinking, how can we actually leverage the technology and managers at our disposal? Training should be about 30% of the actual project application and implementation and coaching should be 70%. That's how you're going to drive the results. But we cannot do that if we're not training and coaching and working with our managers to actually know how to effectively do that. I'm going to go further than that, which is Mm -hmm. I think we need to look really carefully at leadership across the organization because sales is often seen as the troublesome child um, (laughs) in the business and it shouldn't be selling is genuinely a noble profession done well it's a service profession it's about serving others to help them achieve their better future to help them um, get out of the hole that they've probably dug themselves into and to help them to achieve the outcomes that they want that's what sales should be about but sales has become the whipping boy for greedy investors and complicit leaders who drive all the wrong behaviors. So I think what we need to do before we start faffing around with training is we need to look at the structural problems first. We need to look at way leadership is measured and compensated. Mm -hmm. The unholy rush to try and get funding and then suddenly find yourself on quarterly reporting cycles, which are utterly unnecessary. Unless you're a publicly listed company, there is no justification for them. So end of quarter should not be the hell that it is for the majority of salespeople. Um, Then you need to look at the compensation scheme. Compensation should be, certainly in tech, should be based around consumption and adoption. And it should be rewarded most heavily when the customer reports back that they have achieved the outcome that they originally intended from their investment. And the third renewal is where there should be a big payout as well. Yeah. And one one more thing, if I can add, um, I, I think that We've we put so much focus right now on lagging indicators of success. And that's the only thing we're tracking. And let's just be, let's call it out because it is super easy. It is so easy to track things like it's so lazy. And so the thing is, one of the big projects that I help my clients with is actually creating a, a measurable framework for leading indicators of success. Even getting your managers to assess reps on things like 
the values of the organization? How are your reps demonstrating curiosity? Are you actually defining all of these these values? But even more importantly, because I I do think that sales performance is actually three buckets. It's performance metrics, yes, but also values and skills and competencies. And the issue is that most of the time, we're literally just perform... We're just like getting our, our... We're focusing more on performance management versus coaching and, and rep development. Absolutely. And most of the companies I talk to, the sales teams, they don't even know... They, they haven't even defined what the key skills are for each level of their team. They literally don't know what it takes to be successful. And I think it's so ridiculous, but it is, it takes time to define. And, you know, our ops people aren't sitting in Salesforce, like putting in sales skills and assessing their reps. But the magical thing is that when we start to actually look at performance that way, reps just light up. They, they, they start staying at companies because they're actually learning, they're growing. And the interesting thing is when you actually do things like that, like for example, I think deal qualification is another really good example. Leading indicators of client health. You actually start to see reps who are doing things proactively. You start to see the conversations and one-to-ones change from where are we at on this deal, you know, deal updates to hey, I saw that you know this deal is is struggling a little bit. How can I help you? And for me, as I was an internal trainer, you're talking about like the whipping post. I was like the sales therapist, basically, right? Like so many people came to me with like blaming the sales team for everything. But the crazy thing is that when we started implementing deal qualification, the complaints from client experience started going down because they're like, wow, sales is bringing in some really strong deals. So this so, is... This is something that only the brave will do, but I'm really excited by this. There's a new app that's being developed at the moment called Askum, A-S-K-U-M, for um, the guys from Yorkshire. And you send the link before you go and meet a prospect, and then they assess your performance in the sale. And I think also uh, a number of people that I've mentored are now starting to open in their upfront agreement with the prospect. They're yeah. saying, at the end of this conversation, I'm going to ask you for feedback because I want you to uh, give me both barrels, how I performed in this conversation. Did I bring value? Was it relevant? Was it appropriate? And then at the end, they say, you know, how did I do? And my favorite question is, have you seen better? Oh, I love that. The only issue I see with that is the issue I see continuously with every good technology that comes into sales, which is that exactly what we've talked about, that sales managers do not have the skills if they identify that a sales rep is struggling or if they need to be better. Right now, we're not investing in the skills to actually help managers manage those people. So I see a lot of times like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh no, people are just going to use this to figure out who to fire. This you know? is, so okay. it's, it's such a big responsibility and we need to be better. We can't just use these tools to say, okay, we're going to cut the people with the lowest scores. Right? Like this is say, about the we need to take the responsibility. It. But that's yeah. the rep taking responsibility. So yeah. when they turn up, invite the prospect to assess them and at the end, ask for honest feedback. And what's really interesting is the referral rates go through the roof. Wow, yeah. Which means that you have a much lower prospecting tariff. You know, if you can cut churn, 
yeah. customer churn and you can drive up referral rates, then there's less pressure to do cold outreach. If you're not mapping the client's ecosystem, if you're selling into an enterprise and you're not mapping the customer's customer, joint ventures, supply chain, alumni, historical uh, legacy customers who've lapsed, if you're not looking at uh, the family tree, um, most salespeople will only look at organic growth. And that's missing out 95% of the potential. And I also got a call out that I do see a lot of... um, We don't have enough time to dig into this because this could be an entirely another conversation. But I think that um, I see a lot of people saying that like salespeople are dead. Like we're not going to have any... We're going to have product-led sales processes in the future. I'm like... Honestly, the only the only argument I can make for that is that salespeople are getting really bad, and I mean, there's we're, we've always been been bad, like right, like salespeople always need training. But I think that what you said in terms of like the referral rates go through the roofs, I think that in the future, good salespeople, like I want everyone to think about salespeople as a differentiator. That yeah. is what we really need well, because in a world where there's even more salespeople and as you know. There's so many companies to buy. Good salespeople are going to be as much of a differentiator as the product. Well, um, in our good friend Tony Hughes's conversation that I had with him mm-hmm. last week, he was talking about a company that sells chemicals and compounds to chemists, pharmacists, so that they can make up generic drugs on premise. And uh, what they found was there were two territories where there was no rep, and they were the two highest performing uh, regions within the company. Now, what was interesting was they then thought, well, we should go out and interview the pharmacists. Yeah. And they interviewed the pharmacists and asked what value the reps brought. And they basically said none. And then as an afterthought, they almost without exception said, well, actually, no, they, they do one thing that's good. They give us discounts. Now, what that tells me is, and t- Tony, I think, is wildly optimistic. He thinks only 30% of those jobs will disappear. I yeah. think 50 to 80% will disappear. And he gives yeah. me 10 years and I give him about three to five. Now, he's a lot wiser than I am, uh, but I think I'm right. So <laughs> um, I, I think those commodity items that can be bought from mm-hmm. a catalog, a brochure, a website, those sales jobs will disappear. Where it requires, I'm surprised they haven't already, honestly. Yeah, me too. Um, but where, where it requires someone who understands how to orchestrate, and this is really very important a salesperson's job is to be the conductor of an orchestra or be a choreographer in a complex sale. And they need to understand that there are multiple layers. You know, the moment we're seeing 10.9 average number of decision makers in an enterprise sale. Yeah. Now that was just about uh, just below seven pre-COVID. Exactly, it is it's... unreal. It's so complex. Now you've got to be able to manage all of those relationships and conversations yeah. in parallel, be timely, contextually relevant, and appropriate, and valuable at each stage, and make sure that all the right people on your side are having all the right conversations in the right way with the right people on the customer's side, yeah. and you're probably going to have to start working with partners and competitors because the end customer wants the best solution. They don't care that you're Oracle or HP or IBM or SAP. What they care about is, is it the best solution for our problem? So, you know, I think there's also one other conversation that we have to, we have to think about. 
what I've been telling people is that sales 2020 and beyond, and even earlier, we've been making this transition for a while. We need to stop selling and start enabling our customers to buy from us. Because, you know, it's funny, we always treat our customers as like, okay, like this company has a really complex buying process. And we just ask them, like, what is your buying process? And they're like, um, I, you know, like I need to, I need to check on it. And like, we have all these surprises. And so many times people are like, they lied to us. Our champion told us it was something else. And it, and I was like, they didn't even know. Let's just be real. Let's call it out. The client's buying processes are often so complex that they don't even know what it is. And so for, for me, what I've been seeing this trend is that like these top salespeople, especially within enterprise where it, you know the buying committees and all of these processes with InfoSec and all these things are becoming so much more complex, we're actually not going to even be selling to them. We're going to be helping them manage the process of selling it internally because unless you're, you know, a sales enablement tool, you're selling to salespeople. For example, like we were selling to marketing people who don't, they're not salespeople. So what we would do is we were literally helping them sell it internally. We're rallying business cases. We're helping them navigate. We're giving them questions to ask internally. Hey, have you thought about information security? Do you know what the process is? Because we're seeing a lot of companies now, even in the last year, even our renewals are having are, are going through a new process. Can you just check internally and see what the new process is? They do. And they're like, Oh my goodness. It's a completely new process. We have a new team involved. I had no idea about this. So I think that to your point, we shouldn't just say that sales is dead or you know, salespeople are going to be fired or replaced. Like It really is that sales is going to become likely more specialized. And it's going to be the like who you sell to, what environment you're going to be selling in is going to be a lot different. And a lot of sales jobs are going to go away. And if you do want a strategic sales job, you're going to have to come at it with strategy and like all of the cues, right? There's, there's going to be a lot of competition. Megan, this has been absolutely fascinating. I'd love to have you on again. Absolutely. I know. Now I'm, I'm like, there's all of these other conversations we got to jump into. Excellent. Thanks okay. so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, so three very quick final questions. Yep. One bit of advice to give your idiot 23-year-old self. Oh, man. It's easy. Stay humble. I thought I knew everything at 23 years old. I was a sales trainer. I was like, I'm going to teach everyone how to do this. I'm like, that was really cute. So now it's it's always focused on always be learning, consuming a ton of content, and, and really being humble and knowing that I never know anything. Absolutely. Fabulous advice. Okay. One book that you'd recommend people read? Oh, man. This is a hard one. I'm going to recommend an all-time favorite mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Thank Carol you. Dweck. It focuses on growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And it, if anyone has that 23-year-old mentality that I had, it's a great way to rethink how you are learning and how you're confident. So a complimentary book that's fabulous in that yeah. field is James Cass, Infinite Games. So again... Perfect. Really okay, I'll add it to my list. And how can people get hold of you? So the easiest way to get a hold of me, I am all over LinkedIn. I have a unique spelling to my name. It's very easy to find me. So go ahead and you you can search me on LinkedIn. I actually have 
also my website posted there, which is Path to Presidents Club. That's pathtopresidentsclub.com. And on my website, you can also find a link for a what I call a geek out session. If you want to geek out about any of the topics here, um, or if you want to talk about how we can bring some of these things to your company, you can book a free virtual coffee. Excellent. Meg Meshach, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this insightful and useful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And please, please, please share this with your boss, with your manager, with a rep or someone who is considering a career move into sales. And if you want to get a hold of me, my email is marcus at laughs-last.com. And you can direct message me on LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.